1: for our own recovery as well as our clients.
0: If you'd care to join us, we record live on Mondays at 12:30 p.m. Pacific Time on YouTube. We generally answer a few questions from our live viewers related to whatever topic we're covering that week. And if there's a topic you'd like covered, you can also submit a
1: request on our website, purelyocd.com. And if you do find this podcast helpful, please leave us a review so we can gain more visibility to reach more people like yourself and help spread awareness of what it's like to live with OCD.
0: Quick reminder, this is not intended as therapy or as a replacement for therapy. This is for educational purposes only.
1: So without further ado, here is this week's episode.
0: Good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon.
0: Welcome to this week's episode of Purely OCD, where we will be talking about sexual orientation, OCD, and recovery. Yeah. And uh, welcome to 2024 as well, which I'm still pretty sure sounds like, you know, like a made up time in the future. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's wild. Yeah.
0: So where, where shall we begin?
1: Well, I hear exposure and response prevention is super helpful here. Have you heard
0: that? That's good.
1: <laughs> I've got wind of it. Now, whether somebody wants to engage in it is a whole nother Deal,
0: that's true. That is true. Um, so yeah, let's. I mean, obviously, we talk about this all the time. But while we're at it, let's just talk about like what is exposure and response prevention.
1: So exposure is bringing up the feared thought or feeling or sensation that's associated with the trigger, and then we are choosing not to engage in compulsive behavior like we normally would to try to get rid of that. So we're really dropping into the fear. And the feeling of the fear and doing nothing about it.
0: Amen. Well said and straight to the point. So um within the realm of sexual orientation, OCD, we are trying to purposefully trigger thoughts uh that of uncertainty about one's sexual orientation, yes. which you can, uh, if you didn't know what it was before and when Kelly made that joke that like, you know, it's whether or not somebody wants to engage in the process, that's why, right? Like it is very uncomfortable by design to face down the triggers that bring up these thoughts and the feelings of anxiety that come along with them. Right. So, <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's worthwhile to before we launch into the specifics of how we would see this manifesting with sexual orientation OCD just to give a brief nod as to why we do exposure and response prevention. I think it's really important because obviously, like you said, a lot of people won't uh, if they don't understand the rationale behind it.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, the whole crux of why OCD is a disorder is because it's negative your the compulsions are negatively reinforcing that initial fear. So the more we do that, the more this fear gets grows exponentially. and slowly our world becomes smaller and smaller. So where one day maybe we're watching um, you know, a Ted Bundy serial killer movie and we're like, oh, what if I'm a serial killer? So I'm going to stop watching all of those. But because we've now told our brain, oh, avoid that because that thing's scary. And when you don't do that, you don't feel anxious. That's great. So every time you feel anxious, specifically associated with that fear, we're going to do everything in our power to neutralize it and run from it. So that might then now look like instead of watching documentaries on that, it might be – um mentally reviewing back when you had uh, aggressive urges or feelings towards somebody and did I actually feel like I wanted to act on that and ruminate on that and then say, you know what, maybe that person triggers me, so I'm going to avoid that person or I'm going to avoid people altogether. So the reason, in fact, is this, is that we want to live our life with the fear, with the uncertainty without it just like controlling every single thing we do.
0: I don't know if that
1: answers the question that, but.
0: No, I think it does. I think that the, the crux of the reason why we do ERP is because without it, without being willing to experience the triggers, and this is what you're saying, our lives become small, very Mm -hmm. small and, um, so it, it seems like that's the solution, right? I'm gonna avoid all of these things or I'm gonna spend a ton of time trying to resolve the uncertainty that I'm experiencing around this question, in this case, what you know, what is my authentic sexual orientation? Um but yeah, it, it's not the solution. It actually, uh, as we've said many times on here, is the problem. And it it's the problem because it makes your life so small. Yeah. And it not only are you going to avoid things, but then like ruminating takes you out of the here and now. So you can actually be at an event and really not be present for any of it. You're like, oh, I really wasn't. I'm like, nobody's present 100% of the time, but yeah. one would hope that you'd be present more than... What is allowed if you're if you're really dug deep in the back of your brain trying to figure out what a physical sensation means? Um, so learning how to be in the presence of those triggers without doing anything gives you more freedom to be more present to connect in ways that are meaningful to you, um, and yeah, just to show up to the event in, in some instances or to yeah, so. I'm just reiterating everything that you just said <laughs>
1: um, I, but, I think you you did say the present the pres, the presence of the fear being there is such a good point because when people say like oh you went to an event and you weren't present they're thinking oh well the present moment is a positive experience but the present moment includes the fears as well it's just we're choosing to not engage further and make, Things more complex and difficult, like the present moment includes that your brain's going to get pulled away with the intrusive thought, and that you're mm-hmm. coming, you're redirecting and refocusing on what's happening instead of drifting. So I, I like that yeah. you brought it up in that way.
0: Well, and that reminds me of a book that I actually I picked up because you were reading it at one point, which is okay. *No, no Mud, No Lotus* by Tegan yes. Han, and this idea of holding. To, uh, well, he talks about this uh, this uh, this experience, although it's certainly not just him that talks about right. it um, or talked about it. Um, but I, I think that this idea of like being you have to be able to accept that anxiety is a part of the experience in order to have the experience because yeah. otherwise you're going to so aggressively start to chase down and try to fix the anxiety that you miss out on the experience entirely. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't say it in those terms. He's like, no, happiness, no. happiness is possible. <laughs> <Right here. laughs> but you, but happiness cannot be without sadness. It's like yeah. good point. good point. Thigna-Han. Yeah. Good point. Um, Very good point. So obviously we've talked a lot thus far in this series about, you know, what is an obsession? What's a compulsion? And essentially, as we've been discussing, the framework is let's bring about the obsession so you can practice refraining from the compulsion so you can get better at being in the presence of the obsession, the anxiety without getting totally derailed. Um
1: yeah. Have we lost you yet? You know, like, <laughs> that's, um, super scary. Cause the compulsions are serving like doing it's, we're asking you to do the complete opposite.
0: Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And it's so, so important to learn how to be in the presence of discomfort on like a, can I go on a, a brief tangent? I, uh-huh. I realize that we haven't talked at all about particular exposures yet, yeah, but, yeah. um, it's like I watch my daughter who is now five months old and she's doing tummy time, which if you have children, you know this. If you don't, let me share. Every child I've ever met hates tummy time, at least at first. Yeah. Um, because why? Because it's it's hard.
1: It's uncomfortable. <laughs> like, they have to lift their, their heavy heads with their tiny necks.
0: Yeah. And they got no neck muscles thus yeah. far. Um and I've learned also that the center of gravity apparently is like up here at first. So it's like, it's really, hard. Oh. You're, you're asking them to do something that is really difficult for them.
1: And they fuss and they.
0: And yeah. And they cry. And you would think like, oh, well, when they cry, you have to pull them out of it. Right. Cause that they shouldn't be uncomfortable. Wrong. Yeah. And that's. As much as like I don't like to see her uncomfortable. And I personally like if I could change even my own experience of discomfort without it impacting my life negatively, I probably would in a lot of instances.
1: Oh my God.
0: Right. But clearly this-
1: we tried, otherwise we, we, we wouldn't should, be
0: we tried so hard. So hard. <laughs> it didn't it did not work.
1: Um, ended up in a lot of therapy and then became therapist. So weird. That's like, yeah, that out. <laughs> it, yeah. We
0: are, we promise. What, I'm like, you can go ahead and try if you need to, if you need to prove it to yeah. yourself, yeah, but yeah, you yeah. know, like uh, we really gave it the good old college try, so to speak. But if you look at that instance, right. If you look at her with this tummy time nonsense that if she's not willing to be frustrated, she never gets to learn how to lift her head, which obviously is something that is good. really important for her that's to right live right. her life. Yeah, you know, um, and so helping her to practice feeling that level of discomfort so that she can live life and and you know be be the kind of person that can hold her head up, uh, literally, is important. And that's the same. It's essentially the same thing we're talking about here.
1: Yeah, you're relearning your experience with anxiety. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So how do we make ourselves anxious? If I, if I have sexual orientation OCD and I am worried that I might, um, uh, we'll use me as an example because, you know, it's just the two of us talking and I happen to be straight. So, or identify as straight, like if I have anxiety thoughts, like what if I'm, what if I'm secretly bi or, you know, what if I'm secretly gay and I'm just identifying with the inauthentic orientation, what kind of exposures might I do?
1: Well, it's very broad. So just want to remind everyone <clears throat> that just because we're talking about certain exposures doesn't mean they're right for you and that you want to consult with your own therapist who specializes in OCD, that this is appropriate for your recovery. But
0: 1,000%. <laughs> Thank you. That's a great reminder. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> this is not therapy.
1: But yeah. But that being said, it also, it's important to consider what the compulsions the person's engaging in as well, because with this particular set or type, um, the obsession varies. But if it is like, okay, I'm concerned that maybe secretly I'm bisexual. And as a general rule, it would be, okay, maybe we start by writing the word. The words, right? Like, oh yes, maybe I am, I'll never find out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So leaving that for uncertainty. It might be not avoiding things that you typically would, like maybe um going to a gay pride parade, going there, buying um, a rainbow uh sticker, and um watching shows that trigger you. It yep. could be, hmm there's, there's just, no the,
0: unlimited. It is unlimited. And ultimately, you know, it's based on what you want to do with your therapist is to break down what's most triggering to you because something that's triggering to one person might not be triggering to you and vice mm-hmm. versa. Um, but those are some great ideas is like, even the word, if you, like, let's, let's focus in on like, maybe I'm secretly bisexual. And I'm just not being honest with myself, um, that the word bisexual, to your point, might be very triggering. And if you read it, or, you know, if you find yourself, I don't know what context you might have to write it, but like writing it might be triggering for you. So just practicing that and Mm -hmm. over and over and over again, um, Mm -hmm. is a good starting point. And then there's this evolution, right, toward things that like, and that's, We don't necessarily have to go in some sort of rigid hierarchy where it's like Mm -hmm. the least anxiety provoking all the way up to the most anxiety provoking. Like perhaps we have Mm -hmm. or our field has historically because we know now with, uh, you know, the element of inhibitory learning that that surprise actually supports learning and and learning um, is obviously a very important part of this process as we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. So... But that being said, generally, we progress somewhat gradually just because that helps. It's like learning how to ride a bike or swim in a pool. You're not generally going to throw somebody into the deep end. It doesn't give you a lot of opportunity to practice all of the fundamentals <laughs> that you need. Right.
1: Or like, oh, do I really want to ever go back to see that therapist ever again? Because <laughs> they terrified the shit out of me for right? an hour.
0: Yeah. Right. Can you imagine like, if you went to your first I, – I guess that there are some children who go to swim classes who are just, like, thrown in, literally. Like, that's a thing, I think. But is
1: it? Yeah. I don't know. I think. Maybe. I think babies. Yeah. I think they do it yeah. with babies.
0: Because they already have that. Because
1: they already know how to kind of
0: – But can you imagine – Because like... they don't
1: have fear is why. <laughs>
0: Well, and because they already know how to swim because they've be, been <laughs> yeah. hanging around in liquid for a while. Yeah. But I imagine like never having mm-hmm. swimmed a day in your life and just being taken you to would
1: probably become way more fearful, right? Like if someone threw me in a bucket of spiders, I would just thinking about it, I just yeah. gives me, you know, like I would run for my life.
0: Where's this bucket Versus of spiders like, Yeah. <laughs>
1: Then the fear factor, that's what it reminds me of. Okay,
0: that's true. Okay, okay. But like I get
1: versus, that. let's look at the spider on a printed image, and yeah. then let's write the word "spider," and then let's look at uh, videos of spiders crawling on people. Right? Like yep. they're, you know, I think I'd rather go with that option.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And in that, you might happen across a spider because that's what life is. Surprise. And like, Summarize. So like you find that perhaps somebody who like if you again have this specific fear of it. maybe you're secretly bisexual, you might have somebody in your family come out as bisexual, right? Mm-hmm. And like either and that that you're close with, and that's going to trigger you. It's going to make you want to figure out what your sexual orientation is, OCD or what your sexual orientation is with absolute certainty. But that's okay. That those moments are going to be peppered throughout your experience. Those sort of incidental exposures yeah, are going to happen. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's going to be harder to practice response prevention in those instances, especially if you haven't gone very far in, in sort of manufactured exposure work where you're yeah. consistently facing it. Because again, you have all of these we look at the, the element of, of swimming, right? Like you have all of these things that you have to keep in mind. Like if I'm just learning how to swim, I mean, I'm making this up because I do know how to swim, yeah, but I, mean, I have imagined kick
1: your legs first, I think.
0: Sure. Okay. So you have to kick your legs and then you, you have, have to have tread to... water. Right. And then you somehow have to figure out how to hold your breath. And then you've got to like move your arms and they have to be coordinated with the leg movements. And, you know, like all of these pieces at first, it's going to be really challenging because you haven't done it before. And that's the same thing here. It's like, okay, I have to accept that I'm having a thought and I have to accept that I'm having a feeling, which sounds pretty, um, low maintenance, but the reality is that if you're used to fighting those things and you're like, okay, there's a thought, I'm going to identify a thought. Even that can be very challenging. Yes,
1: It's such a good point. Like it's clunky and it feels clunky almost, right? It's like – Absolutely. Am I doing – like I don't know if I'm doing it right. It's like well, you're doing it good enough right now. Like you're learning how to A, recognize that you're having a thought like you said. Yeah. And now I'm noticing I'm having a feeling in my body yep. associated with that thought or trigger. Yes, And now now I'm recognizing, oh, look, my mind wants to do this whole narrative around it. Right, right. And now I feel compelled to physically not do something or just mentally, right? It could be physically avoiding, but it could also be mentally doing things like, oh, let me have the right thought when I'm thinking about this one person who's bisexual.
0: Right, right.
1: Let me um remember like I'm watching a show, maybe a triggering clip with my therapist in session that's ten seconds long, but the whole time I'm mentally compulsing, and initially, you don't really recognize what that looks like, Yes, so it's the exposure it's bringing on the trigger paired with not compulsing, whether it's right. mental or physical,
0: right, but I love how you piece like you sort of parsed the different elements there that you have to be aware of. And frankly, just understanding that you're engaging in a mental activity, just appreciating like, okay, I'm having a feeling and that feeling lives in my body versus I feel like this is the end of the world, which is not a feeling at all thought and is going to lead you to ruminate, right? Like if you're not aware of what's happened, that's actually where I start in therapy. I like, I'm sure-
1: there yeah, are some
0: people who are like, what? But I'm like, well, no, what do you good. think a thought is? You know, like what's a thought? And people are often surprised by the fact that it's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I've not really yeah. thought about what a thought is. Um, but if you don't understand what those component parts are, how in the world are you supposed to be able to acknowledge them and then practice disengaging from them? Yes, or, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Um it doesn't go like happy angry, frustrated, feeling real is not on the emotion scale. It's not. That's actually fear.
0: Yeah. It's a a fear related to the thought that I might not be real right? or, you know, an experience of dissociation, right? Mm -hmm. As we've talked about. So in terms of what exposure and response prevention is, because I think oftentimes people want a list. It's like this is yeah. these are the things that you do to trigger yourself. You already have that list probably. Yeah. You probably know what would trigger you if you really sat down and thought about it. Yeah. It's about learning how to do the things that trigger you, learning how to refrain from from responding in any sort of way. Um And practicing just accepting the presence of the feelings while you're doing all of that. That doesn't mean like you have to stare at the feelings, but just like, oh, okay, there's anxiety. Okay. And I'm going to keep reading the newspaper or having this conversation with my friend or I'm going to go out to the party that I have RSVP'd to, whatever. Um, Like continue living your life. That's really what response prevention is all about is just to continue living your life on your terms.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was just going to add to that, like there might, for exposures, there can also be like this double layer or sometimes even a triple layer where you're maybe watching a show that's triggering you while, um, intentionally bringing up a groinal response, like as an active, like, Oh, look at, I'm aroused while doing this. And then your brain's like, Oh, see, what does that mean? And you can say, we don't know. Yeah. Yep. Well, and I
0: think what, what you're saying here too, is really important because with, when you get triggered, you may engage in a compulsion before you even realize it. And so understanding that you, you can catch yourself at any point and still accept uncertainty. Right. Yeah. if you check your gro- like, let's say you're watching the show, you check your groin, you inadvertently just go like, Oh, what do I feel? And then you get that feedback of like, Oh, but you feel something that must mean you're aroused and, and you re-trigger yourself and you want to figure out again, whether or not your whatever sexual orientation that you still have the opportunity to then go, Whoa, wait a second. i am I'm, I'm going to stop digging here. Yeah. I don't know what that means. I'm walking away.
1: Right. Or it could be like, well, if I, well, I've heard clients say like, well, if I'm intentionally bringing up the grenal response while watching something triggering or talking to somebody that triggers me, won't that then make me bisexual or straight or gay, whatever, wherever they, the yeah. fear is. It's like, well, that's not how that works, but also we don't know. <laughs> like. Yeah pretty sure that's not how uh <laughs> sexual orientation works but yeah. um with that in mind maybe yeah there's no certainty yeah. let's let's find out
0: yeah yeah so got it's it's really more and... like
1: willingness right it's always yeah. like well versus this outcome it's like are they willing to do it
0: yeah yeah am i willing to to be taken off guard? Am I willing to learn something that I, that I I don't want to be true or all of that, or that I.
1: And there might be zero anxiety. Great. But they were so willing to feel it even like they thought maybe there would be anxiety.
0: Yeah. Such a good point. Yeah. So in terms of like the, the exposure we tend to see, you mentioned that, you know, it looks like watching movies or television shows or going to places that might be triggering, seeing people that might be triggering. Um,
1: Reading articles of people who find out or figure out later in life they're identifying differently than they had for 30 years.
0: Yep. Yep. And and just... I was going to say uh, any sort of imaginal, whether short form, kind of like what you were talking about earlier with just phrases or or longer, like sh- not long, but like longer form, like maybe a paragraph stories about yeah. how your worst case scenario comes to pass. Um, but these are all ways in which you can trigger yourself. Um, the best kinds of exposures that I think we can do are those that, that are really connected to who we want to be as people. So if you have like a loved one who's bisexual and you happen to be afraid that you're, you know, secretly bisexual, that's a great chance to expose yeah. yourself. It's like, go hang out with your family member. Yeah. That's that's an exposure. And then doing the refraining from trying to figure out instead of just saying like,
1: eh, I don't know. I don't know. That's over and point. over again. That. And also like with, this particular type, there could also be more of an impact in their, um, intimate relationships. So there could be like avoidance of sexual encounters or intimacy. Um, and, and so making that a priority as well. Yes.
0: That's such a good point. Yes. That that's exposure and, and yeah, that's an important thing oftentimes in your relationships
1: sometimes is the hardest of all of the exposures but yeah.
0: yeah legit agreed well um any other sort of wrap up points on this particular topic
1: i don't think so
0: okay well um i'm glad we got to cover this and hopefully this has yes. been useful to those who have tuned in thanks for joining us yeah, thank um, you and we'll be back uh in two weeks on January 29th, I believe, to mm-hmm. discuss a new subtype. Yeah. Yet, yet TBD. Yes. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well,
1: uh have a, to you and yeah. I yeah. guess not see our audience, but uh
0: <laughs> well, we never see our audience, I though, know. in fairness. Yeah. Oh, um, Sorry, we just got a comment from David saying, hi, just tuning in now. Can I watch this back? Yes, absolutely. You can watch this uh, on our YouTube channel. We save all of our videos. Uh, They're also uh, available on Instagram. Um, They're mostly on my page at this point, which is at The Obsessive Mind. I think I have most of the past episodes on. Uh, And we're also on podcast apps
1: so thanks for um, joining us everyone
0: yeah absolutely and uh if anyone has any particular um what's the word that i'm looking for suggestions for our next uh, topic you can feel free to email us at purely uh, at gmail.com yes cool
1: hey okay. all
0: right have a great week yes have a great week
1: bye bye Thanks for joining us. Just as a reminder, this podcast is not therapy, nor is it intended as a replacement for therapy. If you need further support, we encourage you to seek treatment with a registered professional who specializes in OCD.
0: If you have a moment, we'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to leave us any feedback by reviewing us on your podcast app of choice. You can find past episodes on our website at purelyocd.com. Remember, this podcast is for you, so please let us know
1: what you would like to hear. We want to make our message as helpful as it can be. We hope you will join us in the future as we continue our discussion on all things OCD.